and ride with me in my foul life. And we're back. And we're back. Christian, do you, uh, did you ever in your duck hunting career so far? Pretty much over, but yeah, before you mean. <laughs> how much, how, how fired up did bands get you or AKA quote unquote jewelry? Oh, big time until, uh, Big time until I got my uh, lanyard got stolen. What was the story <laughs> behind that? Was that in Memphis? At a, at a, do, do I remember that right? Was it Memphis? Well, oh, Atlanta. Oh, Atlanta. Atlanta. Yeah, they're doing it. I mean, they, the band, the lanyard didn't get stolen. My briefcase got stolen. That had all my stuff in it. We were there for a for a show, for an event. What year was that? Up. Let me Man. guess. Oh, oh five. Probably. Oh four, oh five, somewhere in there. What feeling goes through a duck hunter's? How many bands do you think were on it? First of all, uh, a 15, full rope. Just a, no, no, shoot, no. Uh, Sixteen plus like three geese. Sixteen plus three geese, not like three geese. Sixteen <laughs> three geese. So what? What goes through your head when you see that? when you go to reach for that briefcase and it's gone, is the lanyard the only thing you think of, or was it laptop at that time? What, what else was in oh, there? Oh yeah, it was laptop at that time, but yeah, the lanyard was, I was sick. I mean, I was sick because I knew that it was in a trash can somewhere, you know? Yeah. Nobody cared about that when they pulled it out. Yeah. Do you think I mean, anybody could have thought it could have potentially been a crack pipe? Yeah, I was going to say that it could have been a, it, it may have been used to, uh, Smoke some kind of illicit drug out of it later. It's <laughs> the case. I mean, uh, maybe they enjoyed it. Good deal. I don't know. Maybe they centered in on that after you gave a seminar. They knew it was in there. Yeah, exactly. But after that, I didn't. After that, I never kept one. Have you visited Atlanta, Atlanta since? No. Only Not there. <laughs> Just the never kept a Never kept a band since, is what you're saying? Yeah, I never kept a band since. Gave every any time I've ever been in on one or gotten one, given away. Eric, do you get in the part of the country you live in? It's pretty common to see dry corn or at least some type of dry crop feeding with ducks. I know Canada geese are everywhere in that country. Do you? I I know that you love white-tailed deer, but do you get excited when you see the ducks working in a? Well, I guess you would call it a tornado or, you know, the the touching down and the spiral down onto cornfields in that area of South Dakota you live in. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I don't know any hunter that doesn't get excited about that by by any means. It's um, I do. I like dry field hunting. Love it. Um, obviously, it's easy when I say easy. I mean, it's just you're not going through the rigors. You're not getting wet and muddy and stuff like that. It's It's pretty simple to set up, drive out in the field and set up. And uh, who doesn't like that when the birds work really well? Um, you know, like this time of year right now is when you're going to start seeing them bunch up pretty good. We'd always used to, you know, back in the day, we'd spend, Christian's been up there before, you know, a month, darn near a month out of the year, basically all end of October through the first couple of weeks of November um, up in North Dakota, you know, hunting and taking dealers out and stuff like that. And it was super fun, but I prefer 
uh, you give me a little slew and slew grass and working birds over water to me is much more enjoyable. Um, it just, I don't know, it's more duck hunting, I guess, to me on it. But don't get me wrong, I'd take a dry field hunt and coffee and stuff like that every morning if I could. So. Would you, Christian, would you would you oblige Lars Gard in that state, that sentiment of he would take it any morning? Or are you do you become kind of I don't want to say bougie's not the right word, but do you become more like picky on the hunts you're going to participate in? Do you care about killing mm. ducks that much <clears throat> to where you'll go set up under them on a dry field? Or do you want to spend the rest of your days in your duck hunting career up against a tree and with water in front of you? Yeah, I prefer water. I mean, I don't know if it's bougie or, I mean, there's nothing arrogant about it. It's like, why would you hunt a white, why would you hunt an elk with a bow? <laughs> I mean, right. you with a gun, right? I mean, so it's 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 just what I think mean, it's what people prefer. Um, I, w- I wouldn't call I don't bow hunt, and I certainly wouldn't call a bow hunter, um, whatever the word is, uh, arrogant for wanting to uh, shoot an elk with a longbow. It's cool, whatever. Um, but I think that no, I prefer obviously the woods number one. But you know, that's not every day you get to do that. Um, but definitely water. Do you think the, the, the corn and the ethanol in the, the craze in the last two decades of dry field hunting, um, have changed the way you see your ducks in that part of the country in the boot hill or, or Western Tennessee or Northeast Arkansas, and also talk a little bit about the Canadian craze. When did this happen? When did Americans start getting so infatuated with going north of the border? When we were, when I was coming up, at least in the 2000s, when I first met you two, I don't remember everybody getting so fired up in September and all of this explosion of getting to Saskatchewan or Alberta. When did that happen, you think, or am I a little bit ignorant and blind to that fact? And Americans have been going up there forever and educating birds in dry fields. No, they haven't. I think that the first... I can't even remember the first year I went, man. I'm, you know how my grandmother could tell you, like it was the spring of 27 and I moved. I'm like, I can't remember what happened five years ago. I don't know when it was, but it was when I went the first time, it wasn't before. It wasn't before 2003, (laughs) 2004. And when the first time I went, I didn't know anyone that had been. Yeah. Um, and you didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody. No, I'm not saying people obviously did do it, but I didn't know anybody that had been. And now I don't know anybody that hasn't been. So um, you said I 2001, think, four, what'd you say? What, what somewhere around 2004 or five? I can't, I can't, I could probably look back through pictures and somewhat figure it out. I guarantee it. I bet you I, I, I know that I didn't, time. I know that I didn't work for Avery yet. Yeah. What year was that? Well, I've been there since 2001. You'd have been there. You, I mean, it had to be right around that 2004, probably 2005. You so I, I went after 2000. Well, I went after 2000 for sure. I, I, here's my su- suggestion, and I don't know if it's worth anything or not on it, but same here. So I got into waterfall hunting later, like how Chad, later in life, right? Jim Thompson, a buddy of mine, got me out and got me out hunting, helping, you know, guide out and peer. 
flagging and, and whatnot. Basically, that's the only thing I could do as an official flag person, flagman, right? Um, and shooter. Um, but what I saw, I didn't, no one ever talked about that. And I worked in the industry selling waterfall products five years prior to that. So, so 95, six, seven, eight, nine, you know, right through there, um, working, selling waterfall products. You didn't hear any, every now and again, you hear a small group that went to Canada, but realistically you did not hear people go on there. I truly believe once it's kind of like the whitetail craze of Iowa, right? Uh, was when monster bucks first came out, you couldn't even get a, can't get a tag there now because of monster bucks and videos. I think when it's in the blood and stuff like that, zinc and um, a few of those guys came out with some of those videos that were up in Canada. I think that sparked uh, a flight north of hunters. That's my opinion. Yeah. The, the first time I saw it was, Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Christian. I, I agree with that. But also I think the biggest deal is, um, I mean, I think a lot of people started going when spinning wing decoys, as far as the ducks go. Dry field hunting, 100%. Yeah. You couldn't kill a bird, a duck, a mallard duck, as GTA would say, in a dry field unless it was by fluke. I mean, geese, obviously, that that's always been that way hunting. But yeah. you never saw mallards work all the years out there. And now all of a sudden you put a spinning wing decoy out there and it's like glue. I mean, <clears throat> I wouldn't, you know, I hate to say it, but I, I, I challenge a lot of people that are out there go on a dry field hunt without a spinning wind decoy. Yeah. That's pretty tough. Yeah. <laughs> That's really, really tough right I, now. <laughs> so what year was that? That would have been 98, 99. 99 is when Terry patented the mojo and launched it in Louisiana. So 99 is when him and, and Jeff were really like starting to push in yeah, the Simmons right. parking lot, the first models coming out. So that would have been, so 99, let's say 2000, they really started hitting the shelves. 2001. So I probably went in 2002. 2003, somewhere like that. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think, yeah, obviously I think it, so since 2002, yeah, I think they act somewhat different. I mean, they're just, um, we're not, obviously a lot of them, we're not the first humans they've seen anymore, you know? And, and it's not just Canada. I mean, the same dry field hunting in North Dakota and South Dakota. It's just yeah. great. Montana, Western Minnesota. That's my, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's my, that's my next question or comment is when did that craze start? Because again, when I started, I went to Stuttgart and got enamorated with like that lifestyle, which yeah. I want to get into in future podcasts and episodes of banded the banded hour. But I don't remember ever when I started in duck hunting in like 97, 98, I don't ever remember hearing anybody being like, have you ever hunted them in corn? Have you ever, have you ever been in the middle of a field and decoyed them over? A, you know, obviously spinning wings weren't out at that exact moment until a couple of years right. later, but when do you two think that started in the continental United States? I don't know, but it, what, what's cool. You can talk about like the, the Kansas, the Oklahoma. Now I used to, I travel, when I say I travel, I used to go to uh, like take one or two trips a year. One of them we used to do was like Cheyenne Bottoms out in Kansas. And that was really cool. But far as the traveling to hunt deal man, I, people i don't know it's uh people aren't relegated to their area anymore for sure i mean i know people that go everywhere and that's that's another point what's what's uh, different excuse me and cute not peculiar what's different and it's actually cool you said that lifestyle that's where you know you think of the lifestyle like i think about it and i'm sure eric thinks about it a camp, your duck camp, you know, sitting around the fire, blah, 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 blah. That the whole the whole deal, right? Now, 
the the younger guys, the new lifestyle seems to be they load up a trailer and they go make their own camp no matter where it is. It's different. It's not like go to the camp. They go make a camp. Yeah. They're not waiting for the birds. The, the trend is they're not waiting for the birds to come to them anymore. They're going to the birds and trying yeah. to hunt them multiple multiple months up, you know, and days out of the year um, following them down. I mean, to answer your question maybe a little bit, you had that 2001. So 2002, three, four, we hunted really hard in North Dakota. Like that was, we were up there months, you know, probably at least, three weeks minimum straight through the heart of duck season. And by the four, probably by 2004, five, that's when we really started seeing just as many Arkansas plates as we did North Dakota or Minnesota plates. You'd always see Minnesota plates because obviously it's right there, but man, you'd see Arkansas plates like crazy. So I think that buzz and stuff kept on and that's, you know, people were, they're just, they, that, that time period. They pushed do, you, it. do you think it was that same time period, Lars guard that the, that, dry field hunting in North America, not including Canada, continental United States was really starting to become prevalent. Oh yeah. I think, well, look at, look at dry field, like take it layout blinds, right? Layout blinds through the 2002 through 2008, I would say layout blinds were unbelievable. The amount, I mean, I don't care from final approach to our Avery and power hunter blinds and the companies that were out there. Now everybody makes their own blinds on that deal, whether your shields or whatnot. But anyways, the sales on that was just crazy. Field decoys, crazy. Um, and really the heart, the peak of it was that 2000, I bet 2005, 2006 era was probably the maybe seven, somewhere in there. There was about a three year period and there was really crazy on it. And that was, and then in dry field hunting, you know that's what those blinds are for. They're not, you're not using for anything else but that. Right. Christian, what, do you did you, what do you think it was? What about what? Okay, the, what do you think? What do you think? Um, the cause of the, the migration every year. I think people just they're more mobile. I don't know. You mean as far as people traveling or what the ducks are doing and staying? Oh, well, they, people traveling. I, I think I think that a lot of people have turned into what would be coined as a gypsy, you know, like exactly what you said, setting up their own, their own camps. You see it a lot in, in the Western Hunter back in the day. Um, people were going out and putting up wall tents and, and establishing that to where, where you guys are from or east of the Mississippi, there was always like a dwelling. There was a cabin or there was a actual camp. And I think that what you said hit the nail on the head is like, guys are, I, I just saw it. How many makeshift camps I saw in California this past three days for the opener there. You would think that these guys would just be fine in a hotel, but they got their air streams out. Now they got all their grilling stations set up. They got pots for frying set up. It's like a, it's, they, they, they make it their own and i think that 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 whole i that whole mindset probably comes from the ability of watching other people in other areas do it so readily and, it, and when you say cheyenne bottoms what makes a person want to go hey i want to go to kansas and hunt cheyenne bottoms well is it watching duck commander hunt in kansas during the benelli duck commander days or during the duck dynasty days and they get infatuated with that it, for me it started with that it started with videos and actually knowing that there was duck hunting in louisiana with coco and phil or there was goose hunting in alberta with tim grounds when he was putting out the get down cover up series so i think that content 
has driven this fat infatuation with visiting different places. I think that it's, I, I, do you agree with this Christian and Eric is like, I don't know how many times I've heard, man, don't highlight this area anymore, man. Barney Califf did this on the, on the river and Chad, you came here to Wichita. Now everybody and their mom comes here, quit coming here. You know, like I've heard yeah. that forever. Do you agree with that? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I think you, yeah, I think you introduce people to, especially back then it may have been like, yeah, Tim's killing a bunch of geeks in Alberta. That looks so fun, but good grief. Uh, man, how do you even do that? How, I mean, that's so far. No, it doesn't matter where it is. If they can drive, if people can drive, they're going. So, yeah. And I think as far as the Ducks Act, as a result of it, in, in my opinion, I've always said this, duck hunting is all pressure. You know, how they migrate, how, it, it's so... Obviously, there are other factors, water, blah, 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 food. But pressure is such a big deal that you can watch the trends of where people go. And the duck hunting is unbelievable. And then it falls off. Mm -hmm. Just like you said, people are telling you, man, you quit coming here. Like Barney killed the, what was it, the Nile Brera or something? Right, Barney right. killed him. Yeah. Single-handedly killed that area. Not him and him. He didn't kill it. He highlighted it, and people start going there. Now it's apparently I've never been there, but apparently it's not as good as it used to be. Yeah, I mean, all all places seem to be like that. Well, I think okay, I, I mean, the, the obvious uh, that's that's one obvious reason too. The other obvious reason when the dry field hunting became a thing, right? Look how many more millions upon millions of acres and areas and areas to hunt that opened up versus hey, I'm only hunting this river system or this water pocket or this. Uh, slough area now you just it blew it all up i mean you added just south dakota north dakota along think of the millions upon millions of acres that you added that are now huntable yeah yeah that's a great point and and you open up all of that to opportunity to where the ducks that let's say we're going to the butte sink of california from the top of the pacific flyway but now all of a sudden they're seeing all these spinning wing decoys around Billings, Montana. And then you get into the state of Idaho, which has become like a mallard Mecca because of the corn growth over the last 15 years with duck clubs popping up. And now they've introduced outfitting, which is, Ill which was illegal forever for waterfowl in the state of Idaho. And in the last five years, it's come into being legal. So now like there's a lot of talk about how that, that flyway has been completely manipulated by ethanol corn and the ability for guys to hunt them all the way up to Montana and not just in September or October or October, I should say, when it legally opens for mallards. But people are killing ducks in western North Dakota on the Missouri River and all over eastern Montana on the Yellowstone and Bill in the Bighorn River in January still because of the open water and the ability to get to the food source. So I, I think I honestly think that those factors, you know, there there's all these mindsets. Why isn't Louisiana getting their ducks anymore? Let me ask you this, Christian, straight up before I continue. You just said that about that part that Barney Califf used to highlight in his boat blinds, which was really cool to see on a bluebird day and those big wads working that part of the Mississippi oh, River. Yeah. Does Arkansas or does Stuttgart throw in the towel and say, we can see we're not the duck capital of the world anymore? Or are we having the wool pulled over our eyes as the viewing audience of like Arkansas, Arkansas still got it. 
The flow oh, yeah. is still amazing. Like, is Arkansas still legit, or do we believe the hype that the 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 flyway has shifted westward into southeastern Kansas or Oklahoma and western or eastern Texas, and that Arkansas is not what it used to be? No, all you have to do is go to you say stuff, or all you have to do is go there. You know, open a day. But there, I mean, there's a lot of factors. You know, there's so again, it's pubs. There's so many people that go there. Whether or not the the, uh, the White River has water, whether or not Biomeda has water, it's all uh, uh, it's changed. I think uh, over the years as much as anywhere, but it's still still amazing, and they always have the timber. And there are ducks. You can go to you know some of these places and no no weather factor at all. November 15th, they're loaded with ducks. That's how imprinted they are on that area. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's changed and gotten tougher, but so is everywhere. And I, again, I think that's pressure. So with all of that being said, with with the, the spinning wing and corn and dry field, Lars Gard, you go first, please, Eric. How has this changed the consumer's habits? with you two being masters of retail and watching this over the last two decades, more than that, maybe Eric, you just said you were working in duck hunting in the late nineties. How has it changed the habits of the waterfowl consumer? Does a Stuttgart customer wait until two days before opening day to go to max and load up because he's not sold or she's not sold that the ducks are going to get there yet, that the migration's not happening, that they're still held up. What has changed in the habits? Are people waiting longer to buy their stuff? Do they, do they not believe the hype when they see how many ducks are in the flyway? I hope the question makes sense, but Mm -hmm. has specifically, I don't even want to talk about the internet. I'm just talking about ducks and the migration and all of these, all of these comments we hear about the ducks don't get down here. The flyways have shifted West. Has the consumer changed in his or her habits of purchasing waterfowl gear? I think yes uh, on that. I think, and that's in almost every sport has, has gone earlier and earlier and earlier, you know, as the guys started traveling and moving North to say South Dakota, ours, we have the open season depredation season and whatnot, where you can shoot whatever it is, eight, 16, eight geese. I can't remember what it is. It changes. Then we have a, a non-resident season that pulls up in there. So September, you know, that first week of September, these guys are up here hunting there. They come up here, they can hunt. So now those guys are thinking a little bit earlier versus, hey, you know, duck season coming in in November or something like that. They're, you know, uh, a couple months early. So they're out there buying their product ahead of time, too. So especially anybody that's in the south that may travel to the north. The northern buyer um, pretty much probably stays on the same ticket. I think they're all a little bit earlier because everyone gets a little bit excited, more excited about stuff. But I, I think um, anybody that's heading north or has started the trend to head north has obviously – um, start looking at product and purchasing product earlier. Do you agree with that, Christian, that the earlier that the product is going off the shelves earlier now because of the, all of these different seasons that Larsgaard talks of? Or do you think there's still some stubborn thought in it when it comes to the Southern duck hunter of I'm not going to I'm not going to get loaded up until I actually have to? No, I think it, if, if you if you think go back to the, our previous conversation, yeah. Of course, I think it sells earlier, but is it the is it the quote unquote Southern duck hunter? I don't know. I mean, it's the people that we just talked about. We never heard anybody 15, 20 years ago talk about 
hunting, getting fired up about duck hunting in September or goose hunting. Now everybody is all these early season stuff. So I think that's moved the buying buying season back earlier, but I don't know that it's necessarily the guys down here is it's just people no. that are everywhere. You're right on that because the majority of our sales still happen November, December. The majority yeah, yeah, yeah. of our sales still happen November, December. Um, oh, well, that's a, that's a demand, great point. You start hearing about the buzz and the talk and stuff like that. And then, like you said, you didn't want to get into social media, but if you pay attention to that a lot, guys start getting more fired up and just talking about stuff and just watching stuff. And that starts hitting in July, man. People start getting fired up, just like archery season and deer hunting season. Man, that's that's a July deal all day long. Now it's even getting to last week's of June. Now, especially when trail cameras came out, you know, that really fast forwarded stuff as far as earlier and people getting out there talking about stuff. So it's interesting. Yeah, I, I think it is too. Um, before I go into the actual marketplace uh, topic of conversation, I wanted to touch on um, speaking of that June, July, August, Christian Curtis, is there a good time to throw a waterfowl event anymore that gets the blood flowing? You still have what we quote, uh, quote unquote, say the dog days of summer, the dog days of August. Um, people start getting that, maybe that itch a little bit that Canada's opening up September 1st through the 5th, somewhere in there. Some of these early season goose that Larsgaard talked on in Minnesota, New York, all over the Dakotas. Um, do you... Do you think there is a good time that a retailer or a group can throw a successful waterfowl event anymore? Is it over a hundred percent? We've touched on this before, but can it be done to where you can get the hype going in a parking lot event? Like we got to witness so many times in the early two thousands. You know, again, everything's backed up now. So uh, back then it had been mid September, right? maybe first of October. Well, now, man, people have been hunting. If you do it the first of October, some people have been hunting a month. I think now kind of like August is mid-August, mid to late August is kind of the sweet spot. It's still hot, which sucks, but people are getting ready for dove season, getting ready for early goose, getting ready for teal. I think that's kind of seems to be the sweet spot. Eric, you agree that late August? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's just, I mean, you, you think it's just there's from North Dakota to Louisiana, there's just such a big variance in time. Things start and get going. I think it starts. I mean, you have shows up here that are end of July, first couple of weeks of August, you know, and people are getting fired up. And it's certain products that get fired up about more or less decoy, stuff like that. You're not getting a guy to try on a uh, warm jacket, you know, <laughs> you know, and different things like that. They're just their mindsets, early stuff, trying to get stuff bought that they're going to use immediately. Or right now, um, but yeah, yeah. August, uh, mid August is probably yeah September. Okay, so I want to transition into this, guys, of the footprint of the marketplace and the oper or the the choices waterfowl consumers have now. Bandit is going into a full decade of being on shelves. Um, talk to me about the importance of a couple things in store. I don't want to talk about online right now because I'm infatuated with in store and the experience of the buy. What are the key components that you look at Christian to provide that ultimate experience to the end consumer and to get him or her 
to choose banded. My question is because of how many choices are out there. You guys have watched this in different elements of de- or segmentations of the industry or the rock climbing industry, the mountain climbing industry, the expedition industry. You guys have talked about that a little bit. What do you key in on Christian for the, for the, for the positive experience and to close the deal? How does it happen? Take me through that of the experience. Is it, is it uh, gotta be on sale? Is it the merchandising? Is it the way things are laid out and signage on the floor? How do you picture this and envision it to make sure that bandit is the choice by the end consumer? Um, yeah, yeah. I think it's all above. I think it's part of, of our, us making customers aware before they ever go in the store, I think is, is probably the biggest thing. Um, through content, through, uh, advertisement, through any TV deals, whatever. I think that, that they're aware before they go, once they get there, it's, um, uh, placement in the store. You know, there's like, you, you've always heard it's certain there's a reason milk is in the back of the grocery store. I mean, everything's, everything is, uh, uh, important where it's placed in the store to catch the consumer's eye signage, um, anything you can add in store. Uh, but again, I think it's, it's most important what happens before they go in the store. And I'm not <clears throat> way more about, about retail. I, I even try to think about it. Like what, what do I look for when I go in a store? Um, but I think more of free buy, and, and the first thing that comes to my mind then is, is that we just, I try to innovate. I try to have people um, looking for our stuff before they ever go in the store. And then so much of it, you know, the other part of it is, is based on uh, your retail partners. How do they view you? How do they help you? How do they, uh, who do they recommend? And so it's important to, to be a great partner to our retailers. Um, cause somebody comes in and, and, uh, talks to Chuck Locke and says, Hey, what's the, the best jacket you got? You know, you want him to recommend, recommend us. Well, you want him to walk, you want him to walk the customer off, man. Cause man, so many retailers just, it's, I don't, here's, here, let me, I've been dancing around. I don't think many people go into the store anymore and like, well, I think I'm going to go duck and I'm going to go buy a jacket. I don't think very many people walk in the store without any clue of what they want to do. That's interesting. Yeah, The ones that do walk into the store without any clue of what they want, they go straight to somebody like Chuck and say, hey, what's the best thing you got? And any, you talk to any retailer over the last 10 years, that's all changed. And that's all because of social media, right? Instant, instant marketing, instant knowledge about a product. I can become, I can become the guru of the next gun or rifle or caliber that came out in 2.2 seconds and know, for, think I know as much as the guy that's been trained by the company, right? That goes, it goes in there. So these, these customers now are, they get, social media and different avenues of advertising become so important for companies like us to get our product out there. So those guys can read about it, hear about it, get excited about it, then go in to the retail shop and actually touch, feel and do it where, you know, that's the best part about retail is that you get to go in and touch, 
try it on, see exactly what you like. Um, Cause you can't, you can't show everything in marketing. You can't show the touch of the product. You can't show the quality of the product in your hand. How many times have we all bought something that goes, man, that looks pretty good. You buy it online and you get it and go, what in the heck is this piece of crap? You know, it's, you just, everything can look good on that. So that's, it's, it's crucial for us to get out ahead of people, you know, back in the day, you didn't have that. You had a, maybe a Ducks Unlimited catalog or a Delta Waterfall catalog or Wildfall catalog that you could advertise a print piece in, right? That or the circular that the retailer that you're working with has. So some kind of form of paper print. Well, that's the only way people would hear about new stuff. And then you TV commercials, right? TV commercials. That's the only way you could hear about stuff through, um, you know, hunting shows or whatever. Now everyone's on the social media and they're, you know, they like, they like your brand. They're following you doing whatever. That's where you get, get, get out in front of everything. I remember back in the day and I know y'all are the same. How would you know what the new products were when you got Max Catalog? A hundred percent. That and the Wildfowl uh, August gear edition. Some of the new products were in there, but not as many in Max. Well, yeah. And Max came out before that. Max would come out in, Ju- in July. I'm mean, everybody. Man, did you see this? You'd call your buddy, what in the crap? Do you see this product or whatever? That, that was, and shortly after that, I don't know, Eric, I don't know if, remember Hawk's catalog? When Hawk yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Was catalog. So yep. that was kind of the, I mean, you would sit on the toilet and look at that thing for a week. Reading it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we had, we, we had the Herders catalog. So, I mean, it's, Herders. yeah, that was, that was the, those were the Bibles of, uh, of, of, the man right of the hunter you had that it was on your toilet it was on your coffee table you read that thing you had it you had an ear tab how many times when i was a kid oh, yeah. i saved every single dime i could get um that i knew it was going into my hunting fund and cabela's was a big thing up here right that was a big store that we have and we had shields well i get that cabela's i had everything tab ear tab circled that i was going to go buy i never mm-hmm. bought it through their mail fill out the stuff and do it we all mm-hmm. got in a truck Five of us shared the gas bill, or three or four of us shared the gas bill at the Cabela's. Went in the store, spent all day, did our shopping, had everything, touched and felt what we wanted to get, and bought it, and went home. You know, those were those were the good days. They, but you say that you say that at the end of your comment, Eric. But do you, is it true? Were they really? Because I truly feel they were. Like there was nothing better. It's almost like the deer tag coming in the mailbox, you know, back before you could go online and see if your credit card was charged. Right. You just know there's no fun in that. Right. Like it was the mailbox. It was the max catalog, the herders catalog being in there and seeing what was new. The outlaw decoy catalog at one time used to come out here, at least in the western part of the country. Do you are, are we in the glory days of duck cutting right now? Christian Curtis and Eric Larsgaard. Are these the golden hour, the golden years? Because you always hear that back in the day, they they had so many more ducks. Are do we still have the ducks, and are we living in the best time ever in the history of duck hunting because of this experience we're talking about with the gear? No, I mean, I think that that's I can't. It's not. I don't think black and white. Obviously, um, I think it's black it's, and white when it comes to gear. Well, way more comfortable, way better than it ever used to be. But is, is, ducks. Does that make waterfowling? Is this a golden year because of gear? Yeah, I mean, exactly. No, I don't think. But in some ways, yes. Some ways, no. I don't. When when I think of the golden age of waterfowling, I don't think of gear. I think of a place or a time or, um, you know, all this.
this kind of rolls together. It's just like everything's different. Is it? I I say it's worse, but I'm old. With a new guy, the young guy is probably like, yeah, yeah, it's better. You know, it's, it's freaking awesome. I couldn't imagine only getting to hunt thirty days a year. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, did so you just say? It, did you just say you were old? Yeah, we're old. But then you go back and look at some of the stuff. Christian. I remember up here, guys talk about one goose a day a limit. I couldn't imagine going to set up all your spread and going to do all that work for one goose, you know? But I, I agree with you on the, on the numbers-wise and stuff like that. I, it's my generation. Everyone thinks everything was always better, I think. I don't care if you're talking about yeah. anything in life. It's uh, everything. You know, again, social media has changed it's changed our, it's changed society, civilization, and waterfowling is, was not left out of that. Um, does that do it? I think it sucks, um, but I'm sure some people love it. That's fine. I just, I don't get on a soapbox, but it's just, it, we talk about the shopping experience, how different it is now. Everything's different. It's like, it's all, Less human interaction, less interpersonal communication. If that makes sense, everything is. No, it does. But please, please keep going. Everything is uh, virtual. Um, I mean, twenty years ago we couldn't do this, right? Is that cool? We, yeah, I mean, it saves saves us money for plane tickets, and but you know we instead of being in the same room and when the podcast ends, we do whatever, talk, hang out. Now when the podcast ends, you're gone, we're gone. And that's, it's the end of it until the next one or whatever. You know what I mean? And same with, with, uh, with, uh, shopping. They know about the product when they won't go in the store and they don't have to ask anybody for the most part, but man, it was cool to, when you got, let's, let's say the max, when you got the max catalog and you picked up the phone and, and talked to, uh, somebody uh, talked to a lady in the back and she took your order down. That's pretty freaking cool. Yeah. Um, now, now you don't have that. And, and some people say, oh, it's way more convenient. I guess it is more convenient, but you lose something when you, when you lose something without that, I believe. Not maybe just old school and like you're crazy. I don't want to talk to anybody, but I don't know. I think you, you, you lose a level of service, not by anything a company has done, but it's just, you lose the opportunity to talk to a customer. You lose the opportunity to talk to another human being. Do you, feel like that what you just said christian and eric you can talk on this but do you feel like this is what's kept the mom and pop experience alive in the day of amazon internet big box stores being so 
for lack of better terms, gargantuous. Like you, I was driving by the Shields in Reno yesterday. It's 292,000 square feet. It looks like a mall just in mm-hmm. itself, right? Do, do you think that's what's kept the mom and pop experience alive in America? Is that old school mentality of coming here and, and there's a coffee pot brewing and stand at the gun counter and talk? Would, I haven't stood by a gun counter and talked in probably at least five years. No, I think, no, because even they're so freaking busy that it's not, it's not, I'm not, I'm not talking about going back to 1975 when we were three or four years old where people were sitting by a coffee pot. And I mean, just even 15 years ago, they're busy as crap. So it's not necessarily people you know, which is a romantic thought, but it's not necessarily people just hanging out. But I think that what keeps retail alive, and you know, everybody thought the pandemic, Oh crap, man, this retail is done. You know, it's all online. Well, that's clearly not the case. Um, I think it's people just want to put their hands on certain products before they purchase them. I agree. And there's something about walking out of the store with that in your hand and doing that and putting that in your shopping cart, you know, that experience is, is something there by itself. And and the other thing mom and pop retail stores are mom and pop retail stores have the luxury of carrying a better assortment, in my opinion, um, than your big box stores, your big box stores have limited space. You go, you mentioned shield, right? Well, as big as shields is and how big of a powerhouse is, you'd think you'd walk into it as a waterfall hunter from Arkansas coming up going, God, that's your biggest sporting good shop. Okay. Let's go in there. You walk in there and go, you got 16 feet of waterfall and you go down to any store down South and they got 40, you know, 40, 50 or whatever, maybe a thousand square feet in the store set up for just waterfall, you know? So you're only going to see the top, uh, maybe one or two skews of each brand. Or as you go down into a mom and pop and shop locally, you're going to see probably the top two two brands, two or three brands maybe, and you're going to see a majority. They're A, B, C to D maybe products in that same category. And I think people enjoy that as well. I agree. I think that's where I was going with my question is that it just seems like it's more of the fulfill the fulfilled experience when you see all of it together to where when you just mentioned that retailer, you go in there and you're like, that 16 feet is filled up with five different vendors, right? And there's, you're looking for something and they might only have one product from that brand, which moves me into transitioning. Is well, there such- right. let, me ask, let me ask you this one thing. Yeah. You know, and, and I do this all the time now. Do you ever do Walmart pickup? When you call it in and go to the sidewalk? Well, no, you go on the side, you go on the, uh, on your phone and click what you want and, Set a time, you go there and pick it up. You don't have to go in and bring it out to you. Some some products you do one more pickup. Diet Coke, uh, laundry detergent, decoy lead weights. <laughs> decoy lead weights. <laughs> but am I gonna do a Walmart pickup for a pork loin or a steak or chicken or bananas? Bananas? <laughs> Heck no. I'm not, I'm gonna go in there and pick those out, right? Yeah, that's like, and, and that's a, a weird way to explain no, it's it. That's a great I, way. That's the deal. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what I'm saying. When you go into that mom and pop, you get to see the weights 
but you also get to pick the you get to see the stuff that you would pick up on the sidewalk in a call-in situation like the Walmart deal but you also get to put your hands on and make sure that that pork loin is the exact one that you want to cook that night and I I think some people still I think people sometimes still do both like they may make their big um, shotgun shell purchase for the year online and but then go to the retail store for all the other stuff and may pick up more shotgun shells as needed. But there there is some um, staples that I think are pretty popular online now. But new guns and clothes and stuff that you know, there's just certain things you want to put your hand on before you buy. Can you answer yeah. this question, Christian, real quick while you're talking? This is called the banded hour. So obviously there's what we could consider bias in some statements. Is banded the leader in waterfowl? And I know that there's other segments of our business, but is it the leader in waterfowl garments and accessories in America in 2022? Yeah. Why? I think lots of reasons. I think that... You know, a big part of, of waterfowl's waders, and we continually, we've talked about this in previous episodes, we continually are working to innovate waders. Um, we make changes. We drive, we drive retailers nuts because mm. we'll sell them product and, and, and make a change, and all the ones from last year are closeouts. So now we got all new stuff like the welded crotch. Um, so that's a big part of it. I think that sets it. It sounds maybe foolish, but I think that sets sets us apart. I think our materials are high end. Um, and I think that that I think our customer service is very, very, very good. Um, or do you run into issues sometimes? Yeah. But I think that we're, we get it and we're willing and wanting to help more than anybody. Yeah. We're still small. And Chris was kind of talking about that is that, you know, our product, we're staying innovative. We're a small enough company and the guys that are doing stuff every day are in the field hunting. I mean, it's just a handful of us. Unlike when, you know, these other companies are owned by these big conglomerates, we're hands-on every day. So staying innovative is probably our biggest thing on that, making sure that we have the best, newest uh, product, zippers, you name whatever um, pieces that are in, in the garments, which I think is probably the most important part of us being the leaders in the waterfall business. And then we're we're not a one-stop shop, but you look at Leaders of decoys, look at leaders of waders and clothing. You put encompass all of this, all these these brands, you know, green headgear, Avery, Avery Sporting Dog, Bandit. That's uh pr- pretty powerful names in there. And we're all every every uh every day that Christian and I work on products along with our other colleagues, it's all about how we're gonna make something better for somebody. We're not worrying about the you know financial statement at the end of the year, we're worrying about how am I going to help Joe um, last longer in the field? Okay, Christian, I want you to tell me this, and I want Eric, you to end it. The first part of the question is, 
What is a waiter jacket, Christian Curtis, as I go through these preseason catalogs? What is a waiter jacket intended for? How do I utilize it, capitalize with it, and what is it used for? How do I wear it? Do I wear it in all situations? Why is it called a waiter jacket? Because you just mentioned how innovative we are in waiters. And then, Eric, I want you to talk about I want you to talk about how do we choose between our waiter jacket and the other waiter jackets that are on the market? Because I have, I get a lot of questions of like, Hey, I want the best waterproof jacket, the most windproof jacket and the warmest jacket that you have. Well, is there still questions to ask? I want to know through this buying experience and I want to move into jackets right now. What is a waiter jacket and how do you educate the buying audience on which one to get? The waiter jacket is simply a waiter jacket because of the length. It's, you either have a waiter jacket or you have a parka. Parka is the longer one. Kind of go down below your butt. Waiter jacket is more of a waist-length jacket. It tended to wade because you're, the jacket short is not getting in the water. That's all it is. Yeah. A series of people still wear their jacket over top of their waders, so it's a little bit shorter. Majority of guys still wear it on the inside, but that's, that's all the difference is on it. Now, as far as trying to talk a person into um, our brand versus another brand, to me, it's, you know, it's all about the, what's in the, in the product. You know, all of our stuff is YKK zippers, Primo off the highest quality fabrics, why not the fit functionality purposes. So you explain that to the customer, why ours is better and uh, the weight of the product when they, the weight is the big touch. deal because of our insulation. Yeah. When they, when they start getting them hands and you have, here's a uh, brand XYZ over here and here's our brand, they start doing, you start pointing out something, this guy's a good product. You know, they've got a good product here, but. This is why ours is better. Um, 99% of the time, it's it's noticeable in two seconds what the customer sees. So, so Christian, if I, if, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say the most, the, the first thing that jumps out to a customer is, and you have to explain it, is let me, well, this jacket, ooh, this, this one feels warm. It's heavy, heavy, feels warm. Well, the, yours, man, it, it can't be that warm. It's so light. Well, then you have to explain Primaloft installation, and then it makes sense. It clicks, and you, you there's different little deals you can show. You can show we do at retail events. They they send you these um, uh, demonstration kits, and then when you realize that this light jacket, and I'm saying light weight wise, light jacket is way warmer than this ten pound jacket. It's over. Mm-hmm. So if I walk into Max and I'm lucky enough to be there on a day that you might be working the floor, Christian, I say, I need a waiter jacket. What do you show them in the banded offering? What's the first go-to one that you show them? Is it still the question of, well, what's your budget? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I mean, and, I, I, and I say that I got a budget uh, between 300 and $600. I would go to, uh, well, that's a, that covers a lot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, then you you educate me. What what would be a better a better uh, price structure to, I mean, to talk about? So you can get the Califaction, which is an awesome jacket, um, premium loft insulation, or you can step up to the Aspire waiter jacket, which is in that five ninety nine range, and you get the event the event lamination, which we talked about on a previous step. So also Primaloft, 
Um, but you get the event lamination, which is the most breathable lamination on the planet. And a lot of welded seams. Um, that's the best jacket we have. How much better is it, Eric Larsgaard, than the Califaction? Actually, please explain to the, the listening audience what is special about the Califaction. How is it designed? What are the, the ins and outs of it? But why is the event um, style with the Aspire better than the Califaction, according to Christian Curtis? Well, I, I can probably let Christian explain the, the features of the Califaction since he's the one that designed it better than me but as far as the biggest point of it is like he said the lamination right the event lamination which we talked about on previous podcasts is how much better that is than a standard just the, the sheer breathability of it it's just a higher just a better quality lamination in there um just like any other product whether it's gore or anybody else is out there they have a good better best type deal that's out there and that's the best and that's why that product um um we we'd say outperforms um the califaction the spire would outperform the califaction that is to someone that's truly working the rigors, really going at it here and there. If you're looking at just staying warm and you're not, you're not out setting tons of decoys and, and you know, walking through mud and uh, heavy slew and getting working up a huge uh, sweat or whatnot, then the califaction. So there's different avenues how we direct a customer in, but basically by finding out uh, where you're hunting, how you're hunting, your hunting techniques, where the temperature like, where, where you, you know, big difference between someone hunting in Louisiana versus someone hunting late season North Dakota. Um, so just like again uh budget is always a question and then first before budget to me has always been uh is always been what are your rigors what are you doing how are you hunting where are you hunting and then walk them into that piece from from there but as far as the califaction the design pieces christian knows the bells and whistles a lot more than i do on it um the upper hand warm pockets and lower hand warm pockets and there's just can a you, can you describe the design of the califaction christian well, uh, I mean, the main the main thing to talk about are the the fabric, the polyester fabric. We have a high quality outer shell, a very good not event, but a very good lamination. We have a uh, the the zip out it's zip in zip out. The zip out liner jacket can be worn as a standalone, but it's it's a uh, hundred grams of Primaloft, which is ultra light and ultra warm. Um, the jacket is 100% waterproof. Looks, uh, you know, again, wa uh, waist length. He said upper hand, fleece lined upper hand warmer pockets, um, bellowed lower pockets for assuming, assumably shells. Uh, that, that's uh, uh, articulated hood. So, you know, we got the hood. When you pull the hood up, it has three adjustments instead of just this one. Then when you turn your head, so when you you got the hood battened down, you turn your head and you look inside of your hood, right? You've seen that. Well, these, it has three different adjustments. So you turn your, your head and the hood, it conforms to your head. Um, it's, it's a great freaking jacket. It's a great jacket. MSRP on it, uh, retail price on it that we can expect? 419 this year. 419 it's a great, 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 durable, awesome jacket. It's just like Eric said, if, if you're not, if you're one of the guys that you're, um, riding a foiler to the pit and getting out of the, getting off the foiler and getting in the pit or riding a boat to the tree you're standing on, you're not walking and sweating. And that's the one I would suggest. The Califaction is the waiter jacket that you would suggest to the buying audience right now. 
um, depending on their needs, obviously, but yeah. that's the go-to. That's the, that's the go-to. That is the bread and butter for sure. How we're coming to an end of another episode of the bandit hour, Christian Curtis, Eric Larsgaard. We're listening to the, the two men behind the designs of, if not the, at least some of the most innovative waterfowl product in the history of the game. Eric, how appreciative are you of your customer base? What does it mean to you when you think about the last decade of your life of you sitting there right now, looking at your best friend, Christian Curtis with the banded B seeing it on my sweatshirt. What does it mean to you in accordance to the customer base, the buying audience of how thankful you are of what you've experienced the last decade. Oh, I don't know how to explain that. Yeah, that's, I mean, I'm super appreciative of, of the customer. A, I, I am a customer, right? So you always try to make the products the best they possibly be or their experience the best they possibly can be. And that started from being a sales rep, um, you know, working all the Cabela's and Shields and Mama Pop store events, Max, Max events with Avery and Green and Gear back in the day in 2000, 2001 etc you got you got to know those customers and they came in every single year and a lot of them come in just to see you to talk and tell you about their experience or what what product that they bought from you last year man i picked up x dozen decoys last year they're bad to the bone here's me and my kid hunting and, and they tell you a story and the the sheer amount of times you work a weekend there'll be 10 to 15 maybe more guys than that that you'll share those stories with day in day out and you get to know them over time. So, A, you, you become part of this community, this family, which is, you know, may kind of sound kind of corny or whatnot, but it is a family. It is a community of people. And we all are out there just trying to do better and have a good time. And you get to know those guys. So you see those guys and you come keep working the shows over and over. And, you know, I fast forward now to 2022 and I'm still seeing these 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 kids. Now these kids are, you know, junior and college or they have their own family now and this kid was blowing on a duck call with us at a calling seminar beforehand and now he's still his dad or he's blowing stuff and you're doing stuff and going this is pretty darn cool they you know hopefully they're still wearing our brand and for the most part and a lot of them are and sometimes they'll see something else and i'll give them a little grief for something that we'll joke about it and have a good time about it but at the end of the day we're all out there having a good time so appreciative of the families that are out there appreciative of the mom and pop store relationships that we have is so, so crucial and important to our business and uh, just our customers. Um, you know, we're not going to make everybody happy, but at the end of the day, we try to make the majority happy and, uh, and enjoy our products. So I don't know. I hope, hopefully I didn't ramble on too much. I, no, I love that, it. But I, I'm really appreciative of our, of our, of our people. I love the humility of the, of the brand leaders that, that are actually behind the scenes that get it, that it's not taken for granted of that choice of what you guys work so hard on Christian. How do you transition his comments into a man that you've mentioned today? Chuck Locke. I know he's a dear friend. He has been for a long time to you. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to you to see this man? I don't even know how many years he's been in the max family now, but it's over 30 and he's been there since the beginning with Marion. What does it mean to you to see him still is happy. I don't know if happy is the right word, but is excited and honorable and loyal to you and that logo on your chest. Oh, it's awesome. He's, he's the biggest thing about the guy that you didn't say was hardworking. 
That's what I mean. The hardest worker in waterfowl. The hardest working guy I've ever met. Or none. Never stops. Never. I mean, this guy, he's 61, 62 now, 61 maybe. He don't quit, son. I mean, from from open to close, I'd say uh, he's there 99.9. He takes off. And he'll go turkey hunting for three or four days in the spring. He and and his wife will go on a week trip in the summer. Other than that, he's at that store. If it's open, he's there, and he's there a lot of times. It's not open, and it's been he's like open, that. he's helping customers. Oh yeah, been like that for forty years. And if you want to talk to him, you're, you're walking, walking and talking. He he doesn't stand still. <laughs> But anyway, I think the, that's what makes me the most proud is that a, a guy like him, if you're lazy and, and aren't, and he feels like you don't, you aren't working as hard as he is on something, he, he doesn't have any respect for you. You know what I mean? And, and that's what makes me the most proud is I think that he feels like we're trying. We're always busting it. We're always working to, to better ourselves, better our products and better our brand, better our company. And I think that that's, that's what he respects. And that's the thing I'm most proud of. I love that. Mm-hmm. Eric in this podcast, by talking about the, the genuine, the genuinality, genuineness. Sorry, Christian. I know that you're a big vocabulary guy. The genuineness. I know that you would have made fun of me if I'd have left it at genuinality. You guys would have been texting right as soon as I hit stop on this deal. I would have thought it was the right word. Just don't ask me to spell it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm trying to Christian would have been like, "What right the now. hell is he talking about now?" Would like, had, it would. It would have been. You would have been lost because I wouldn't have had anybody to text about it because Eric would have been like, what do you mean? (laughs) The genuineness of what Christian just said, Eric, um, you're a Northern, I guess, would he be considered a Yankee Christian? Yeah. Is, am I considered a Yankee in Nevada? I don't know what that is. (laughs) Okay. Eric, I want you to answer this with complete transparency, which I know you do and you will. How has your relationship with Christian Curtis and that part of the country talking about places like Stuttgart or the South, you've been all over down there. I know you've been all over from Honeybreak to Memphis to, to Arkansas, to Mississippi, you name it, you've been there. In your opinion, Eric Larsgaard has that part of the country, which we deem, in my opinion, the duck capital of the world, like a lot of our cells are there in the South and Southeast. Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. How has it changed your life, seeing that way of life, the friendships that you've garnered down there? Is it different from where you live, and has it changed your life and how? I want to talk about that just a little bit, about how special that place is, or am I way off my rocker and I'm just exaggerating something that's really not true? No, it, it's it's totally it's totally different. It's changed me as a man uh, tenfold. Um, my family, I'm a very I'm a family man. As Chad, I know you are. And, and, um, but our family operates different here. I mean, I'm, we we're from the North. We dog cuss and swear and do stuff where, where they would never do that down the South or whatever, but the camaraderie 
that's down south on the hunting aspect of it and uh making you feel as family like he's brought up chuck lock which was one of the best guys in the world um you know man you stay in my house i'm cooking you dinner we're doing this you're not leaving here until you're you're good and whatever i mean you don't get that from yankees and uh, <laughs> you just don't you don't it's just a different it's a different deal and and the warmth that they share with people and the friendships that they're they, i mean a lot of open arms on on that stuff i mean now believe me they they can get arrogant about their waterfall hunting down there just as much as anybody up north can get but um that's just that is just uh your pride of your area and what you do and how you grew up hunting but um i think uh it's it's changed the way i look at stuff a lot and especially when it comes to my family um they they uh the gathering and the social events um around campfires and stuff is just totally different um than up here now trend wise i've seen the more people that have traveled down south the more uh, 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 or the people from down south traveling up here i've seen that come alive more and more up here all the way to tailgating at football games right um it's just uh I mean, they say we tailgate at football games here, but we don't tailgate at football games here like they do down south. That's a whole <laughs> no. different ball game, boy. So it's a, it, it's, I don't know. I, I kind of stepped around everything there, but yeah, it's changed me personally. Um, on and a lot of it has to do with just friends, friendships, the addition of friendship. Christian being my best friend, and uh, and the amount of dear, dear friends that I've met down south that are considered family that we drop anything to go do for them and help them out in a second is pretty pretty impressive and pretty cool not a lot of people can say that would you so. echo that christian being from there or are we just full of it and we think the south something that it's not no no not full of it, i will say <laughs> funniest thing i'll never forget this you're talking about north versus south and, and eric's right the north northern people just a general general term but they kind of they aren't as social and they kind of keep to themselves. Right. And yep. Eric, the first time I went to Eric's, he, he lived in this neighborhood and he'd been there for a while, you know, and the town he lives in Canton, I don't know how many people, Eric, 3,500, I'm guessing. Yeah, probably right there. Well, yeah, right. I'm guessing that size is it. I, that's the same size town I grew up in. And I knew everybody and I knew whatever, but you know, it's just, I knew everybody. And, uh, I, we were walking out of his house one day, getting in the truck to go somewhere, and his neighbor was next door. And I mean, neighbor, I'm talking the next yard. And I'm like, and he, he said, he kind of got neighbor kind of looked and kind of waved. I was like, what? Man, that's what, who's that guy? He goes, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> what do you mean you don't know? Doesn't he live there? Yeah, I've seen there. <laughs> what do you mean you don't know? <laughs> so then, then I'm like, okay. Maybe he doesn't like him. Who lives there? I, I don't know. I mean, did not know any of his neighbors. <laughs> I mean, they weren't me. It wasn't unfriendly. They just, they made, they just keep themselves. And, and in the South, which is, which I'm not, I'm not stupid. That's not always a good thing, right? Where everybody knows everybody's business. That, that sucks too. So I think there's the, the whole Southern hospitality thing, which is awesome. It's great. But at the same time, you, you are romanticized by it and it's not always awesome. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. If Eric had lived here 
And I said, who's that? And he goes, oh, well, that's so-and-so, man. His son did this, and, and he's with some gal across town, and she's married <laughs> with three kids. And I mean, cause they, I mean so it, it's, uh, it's good and bad. We have a great time, but everybody knows when you have a great time. So it, it's uh, everybody knows everybody's business. So I don't know. But, but as far as the the – socialness the hospitality is pretty awesome and uh we like to cook and eat now eric is kind of followed in that he likes to he now likes to eat he's always liked to eat but now he likes to cook (laughs) he uses uses something more than lemon pepper yeah did you get him a a jar of uh, a bottle of strawberries i did yeah i keep keep him in strawberries strawberries. that, that, that comes on that comes on like weekly orders from Amazon. That, yeah, he gets that automatically ordered from Amazon every week. Yeah. All right. My last, que- my last question, Christian Curtis, before we leave this uh, this segment of the Bandit Hour, brought to you by Bandit Brands, Avery Outdoors, Avery Sporting Dog, and Greenhead Gear, is Texas part of the South, Christian Curtis? Without you offending anybody, I don't. I don't yeah, clearly it's part of the South, but Texas is like. It's not part of the Southeast. So from what I've seen, and I haven't spent a lot of time in Texas, it's clearly the South, but it's the it's a different South. It's a whole different world. It's kind of like, it's almost like its own country. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, in a good way. I mean, it's, it's cool. It's a cool place, cool state, but it, it's completely different. It's, um, there's a, it's about as different as, when you go to Canada, you know, Canada's different, not in a good way, not in a bad way. It's just different. And, and Texas is just, I don't know. It's just different. It's definitely in the South, but it's not in the Southeast. Uh, it doesn't, the culture is 100% not the same as it is in Arkansas and Louisiana, Alabama, Georgia, Kentucky, Tennessee, totally different. Like Terry Demon said, he said it should have probably have been four or five states, and the ones on the east side of that big piece of land probably would have been considered more of the south, like where eastern or western Louisiana is or where western Arkansas is. But as a whole, you're right. You go there and you 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 go to like southeast uh, Texas, and you're like, oh, this has got some southern flair to it. But then when you're up in Amarillo, there's nothing. Yeah, nothing that has that speaks the South to me at all, right? It's yeah. it's 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 its own animal. Eric, w- right now, October twenty twenty two, what do we have to look forward to from Banded right now? Is it an exciting season in your opinion? Um, should people be fired up for what's coming in the next couple months? Is this the best time of the year, Eric Larsgaard? Are you a Thanksgiving celebrator? Do you love hanging your Christmas lights? Are you kind of low-key on it? Are you a Clark Griswold type of character? What's going to go on in the banded world for the next couple months? I can tell you, his Thanksgiving dinner is better has gotten better since we started hanging out. I promise you that. <laughs> oh, come on. We can make it. Who can't make a turkey? <laughs> and gravy and mashed potatoes. We don't a lot have of people. Potatoes. A lot of people. Once you go to the south, the south, it's kind of different down there. Oh, you get all kinds of other stuff. Your 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 sides are what really change down south. You get all kinds of. I don't know what it is or what I'm eating. It's good though. It's all good. So, um, no, um, yeah, we have a lot of good products. Everything's hitting the shelves right now as far as uh, some of our new products from um, the, this year, um, silhouettes and different. Uh, uh, 
some new waders, the welded crotches and different things along those lines. Um, they're at the retail shops right now. Everyone's getting fired up here. I mean, it's been cool up here. A buddy texted me the other day, get up here, um, up by, uh, Wabe, the ducks are there. Come on. I'm like, I'm still in the field helping the old man combine. We have about four days left and then I'm going to be, then I'm going to be up there. Um, but the, the birds are moving, um, that fall, the leaves are falling off right now. This is, this is go time. I don't care if you're a deer hunter, you're a waterfall hunter, you're, you're getting pumped up and, and ready to do it. Um, Christmas lights. I'm not that guy. Um, I tried to hire it done. That's how lazy I actually, actually funny story. I bought all the stuff starting the one side of my house was putting them up and I'm kind of uh, anal about stuff. I want them all exactly spaced and all facing perfect. Just like, and I got going down and I was about a half hour in. I've been about six feet down the road there. And I just kind of lost my balance for a second and just ticked my hand. And they all went all the way back off the roof, and that was it. I threw them in the box, and I was done with it. That's no, it. I, I get a lighted tree on my porch. That's all I got. I got a lighted Christmas tree made out of pallets that I made, and that's when it. You, when you made that sound, that reminded me of that ladder falling down in Christmas vacation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not Clark Clark Griswold hey, on that, on that the deal. Best thing, the best thing that the, the part of that story was what got him on that ladder was he called the guy who's going to have him do it, and he got a quote. To put lights on my house. Yeah, and it's like $3,500 to put lights can, on my house. Are you kidding me? I can and, do that myself. I'm going to there for 30 minutes, and Daddy's like, screw that. I'm out. <laughs> I'm about $300 worth of lights later putting on the next yard sale I had. Goodbye. <laughs> That's Eric Larsgaard, Christian Curtis, The Bandit Hour. I enjoyed it, guys. Thank you very much. Uh, we shall yeah. ride again. Yep. Yeah. Have a good day. See y'all. Where can the uh, listening audience, and I mean this, whether it's a collector's item or a versatile duck call on your lander this year, can we buy these, the tree calls? Tree. Uh, you can. If you, you know, if you got to. Uh, you got to know somebody? I mean, I just, I don't know. You, you'd have to. Uh, uh, Info at ChristianCurtis.com or at ChristianCurtis.calls on Instagram. CCurtis90 at Yahoo.com. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> That's an old one. <laughs> this legit. How many people do you know still have a Yahoo email? <laughs> I don't know of any off the top of my head. Yeah. No, seriously. CCurtis90 at Yahoo.com. CCurtis90 at Yahoo.com. Yeah, that'll get you a treat call. Get one of these duck calls. They're a free beautiful. call or a tree call? Tree, not <laughs> oh, tree. tree. Oh. <laughs> Buy one, get one tree. <laughs> Thank you, Christian Curtis. Thank you, Eric Larsgaard. Another episode of the Bandit Hour. Check out all of the new offerings from all of the brands under the Bandit Brands umbrella. I'm fired up for it. It's going to be a great 2022-23 season. Remember to get out and vote. Remember to take care of your family. Stay safe. Stay, stay ethical. And let's make this the best fall and winter in the history of falls and winters. Chad Belden, Christian Curtis, Eric Larsner, The Bandit Hour. We'll be back at you with another episode next week. Thank you all so much for the downloads and subscriptions. Talk to you soon.
my father. 